Good morning and welcome to the Rabin Report. I'm your host, Elliot Rabin, so get ready to get triggered. Hello and welcome to The Rabin Report. I'm your host, Elliot Rabin, and with me is part of my expert panel, Amara and Jordan. How are you guys? Good. Tired. Uh, yeah, good to understand. <laughs> really sick. Doing okay. <laughs> On a lot of cold medicine. Let's have a great show. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we're here We're here to support you. Um, and filling in for Samuel today is one of the pioneers of The Rabin Report. It is Marshall Darbyshire. Marshall, how are you? I'm not too bad. Not too bad. It's good to be back. We are so we're so excited to have you back. Uh, you've been you were with the show for six seasons. That's three full years of the Rabin Report. Um, what's it like to to be back to sit in the chair after a semester abroad? I should say. <laughs> uh, yeah, abroad, just uh, <laughs> not here, not quite abroad. But uh, you know, it's it's good to be back. I'm very excited to uh, to revisit the show. Um, it's. Uh, it's very nostalgic for me, and I think it's going to be a great episode. Yeah, we are. We think so, too. We are uh, excited. Samuel is, of course, uh, away in Alabama, but he will be tuning in. So um, we are excited for that. Uh, before we begin, all opinions expressed are not those of Ryerson or Ryerson faculty and are only those of the individual commentators. Viewer discretion is advised. Coming up... In the show, we have uh, our main topic, which will be uh, free tuition. But first, I just want to remind our viewers that we are now available everywhere. Did you miss the Robin Report's live show? No problem. Now you can catch us on uh, catch up on all episodes of the Robin Report on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and of course Spotify. Of course, you'll only be able to see our crazy reactions right here on Facebook, but if you're doing homework, driving to school, now you can listen to us anywhere, anytime. Uh, As mentioned, we have our main topic of free tuition coming up, but first, let's take a look at our weekly update, starting with uh, the New Hampshire primaries. So, it seems that Bernie swept. Amara, you're very happy about that? Yep. Tell us about it. I'm a Bernie bro. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm happy. I think he's definitely the one that I'd like to win. And I think I'm glad that he's doing well. A lot of, I mean, mainstream media, even uh, left-leaning mainstream media, seems to be very hell-bent on undermining his progress. So I'm glad that he's doing well. Marshall, what's your take on uh, New Hampshire, especially um, after the issue with Iowa? Yeah, so I mean, after both of the primaries, or I suppose technically this primary and the Iowa caucus, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Pete Buttigieg is in first by one delegate, uh, if you combine the two, um, I believe at least. Am I? I'm not I sure. So, yeah, so yeah, I believe sure. <laughs> Buttigieg is at 22 delegates in total from both primaries, while, while Bernie's at 21 in total. And if you had told me, you know, a couple months ago that Pete Buttigieg would be in first, I wouldn't have believed it. But um, I'm kind of seeing it now. And we've only seen two states, so this could very well change. And um, it probably will but uh obviously bernie's in a close second which is not surprising to me especially uh you know the new england area is uh, very bernie so yeah i think um Buttigieg has really latched on to a a base that uh, he's done a good job of uh, appealing to both kind of disaffected middle america workers and big city progressive types and that's of course the same demographics that bernie goes for and um we'll see who can secure that base better uh one thing it's kind of funny to me is the vitriol thrown at Buttigieg by the bernie types uh and it's just confusing to me because i see them as very similar they uh they really do not differ very much on policy. I understand if you look at their histories, there's probably a lot of difference there with uh, Pete. Um, yeah, I mean they were both mayors, which is uh, which is some which is a, a degree of similarity there. But they do have different backgrounds, um, and it, it just does confuse me to see how 
passionately Bernie supporters hate Pete Buttigieg, but I can and I I don't like Pete Buttigieg at all. So I think uh, well, I think it just has started with a lot of Bernie supporters. I think feel as though the mainstream media is again trying to undermine his progress. So I think uh, anybody who was doing well against Bernie would have been hit with that vitriol. He also declared victory in Iowa before all of the results were out, and that annoyed a lot of people. And I think just the way that he seems a lot like a politician, and I think people don't view Bernie that way, and I think that's why they don't like him. Like, a lot of the things he says are just kind of empty words. Mm -hmm. Um, He talks about his military service, but if I'm not mistaken, I don't think he was in combat. I'm pretty sure he did, like, administrative work, so I think it's pretty gross to try to capitalize off of being, like, a brave soldier when you sat behind a desk. So I think that's where the—I think it's a combination of things, but I think people view him as pretty disingenuous and— gross (laughs) gross <laughs> well what's also uh, interesting uh, yeah go ahead Jordan. yeah maybe this is my opinion. he people judge reminds me a bit of uh justin trudeau when he first ran for prime minister i uh, could so see that because he's very good at saying the right things but i think voters now at least canadian not voters <laughs> have had enough experience watching justin trudeau they can at least i can at least look see at people and see through it's complete bullshit. and i think he's yeah. capitalizing not only on his like military service but um the fact that he's gay so exactly. i think people are tired of identity politics and if the just gay because pe- you're gay if the gay people see through people <laughs> to judge i'm sure straight yeah. voters see through him as well that's yeah. my opinion on it personally makes sense well what's also interesting is that warren and biden walked away uh supposedly with no delegates at all and they were supposed to be at the top mm-hmm. uh, that's you know having the most not surprising to me it's a little surprising to it's- me I feel like Warren and Biden are two of the candidates that if you're not following or politics, or yeah, if you're not following politics super super well, and you only get your like just from watching the news a little bit at night, like not really like invested in it, I feel like Warren and Biden are two of the names in which you would know more yep. prominently. So I would say I'm a little surprised that they're not doing as well as like, well, I, I, I expect see them that. to be more more so in it. Maybe not necessarily the front runners, but I expect them to be in it more so than I expect someone like Pete Buttigieg. I to think be in people it. are tired of the establishment. And I think especially Biden is and Bloomberg are like the embodiments of the establishment. So I think people like uh, didn't Bloomberg not brag, but he talked about how the fact that he can basically like finance his campaign without any donations and stuff. And that's not yeah, it's not something voters want to hear to me yeah. at all. And, it's like, look um, at all the money I have. I don't even need this job. <laughs> I think Elizabeth Warren also capitalizes on the fact that she's a woman. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm mm-hmm. glad that you're a woman. I'm a woman. We're also Canadian, so I can't vote. Yeah. But that doesn't mean anything to me in terms of policy. Yeah, it's the equivalent of Pete Buttigieg trying Saying to get he's gay, he's yeah. gay. Yeah, or exactly. Barack Obama and his uh, ethnicity. And his what? <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that he's half black. Uh, you know, a, a year ago, I would have definitely said that Biden and Warren would be leading the pack. Uh, but after the last few months or even the last year, I, I, I saw their decline. Biden's quicker than Warren's. I think Biden's you know, age and and uh, not just his age, but his age-related senility um, is, uh, you know, coming off as quite senile, is doing him no favors. And Warren, very strong from a policy point of view, not that I agree with her policies, but that I think they're strong in terms of they would be popular, but just has come off cold and disingenuous and just kind of mean, like a, a mean old substitute teacher i don't know it's i just think like, that happens to a lot of female politicians because i think women in situations like that that are usually male dominated feel like they have to come off super strong and oftentimes but, it just comes off super mean like i believe barack obama cried giving a speech after mm-hmm. a school shooting and a lot of people said if a woman had been president and she cried she probably wouldn't have come away with mm-hmm. that looking good well it's interesting because amy klobuchar doesn't give off that same mm-hmm. impression she's Didn't not she very have a mean scandal about throwing a phone at an assistant mm. like she's had scandals but treating her staffers like absolute garbage but so. because she's projected to not do very well people don't make such a big deal yeah, out of it true. of course I don't but, think people care. Uh, yeah. and you're you're right amara with with women politicians they do face that difficulty and i uh, people like to blame it on you know whatever your boogeyman of the day is but really it's just the reality if you are a female politician there are certain things that you cannot do or else it will make you look bad in the eyes of the public that like cry Cry, well, I think in certain you know certain situations you cry, can cry, be but aggressive, it should be probably avoided. Or authority. Um, <laughs> but you look at some female politicians who do things quite well. Angela Merkel is not somebody who I agree with politically, uh, but is somebody who who does it quite well. She does come off strong without coming off mean. 
Um, yeah, I agree. She seems to have a personality. Uh, Hillary Clinton is somebody who very much just did not have a personality, just was very sycophantic and just trying to capitalize on like whatever the latest trend. Suit. She was like an <laughs> alien just trying to be a human, and that was a big part of her downfall, I'd say. I agree. Yeah. Well, in terms of uh, governments, let's talk about Ontario and the teacher strike. Uh, four unions are going on strike on February 21st, all four teachers unions. Marshall, you uh, were a big supporter, I don't know if you still are, of the PC party. What's your take on that uh, with Stephen Lecce? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still a big supporter of the PC party, and I think that there are ways they're going about this right and ways they're going about this wrong. As far as the actual teacher strike situation... You know, it's it pains me because teachers really do have it so good. If you go on the Sunshine List, which for viewers who are unfamiliar, the Sunshine List is a um, mandatory public disclosure of government workers, anybody who's paid by the tax dollar who makes over $100,000 a year. You can look up all your high school teachers on there. You can look up your elementary school teachers on there and your, your profs too, but that's not really relevant. And you'll see how many of them are making over $100,000 a year. And a lot of people talk about how investing in teachers' salaries is investing in our children's future. And I just have to ask, you know, is there any point where those people would say that teachers are making too much? How much do they want teachers to make at the end of the day? I don't think the issue is necessarily their salaries. Like, I think for me, I definitely support the teachers. And it's more about things like mandatory online courses and class sizes. I think that's what is really horrible. Um, I think... I mean, online courses are difficult for university students. I think high school students at public school should absolutely not have to take them. I've heard of stories of kids who have to go to night school for mandatory courses like math or English in grade 12 that are prerequisites for university. So I think that's absolutely insane. And as far as I know, the teachers want to like a raise to keep in line with inflation. So I definitely understand how people think teachers have a cushy job. Like they have summers off. They get all the holidays we do as students. Absolutely. They are comfortable, but I think this strike seems to me to be more actually about the students, not so much as like teachers pretending it's about the students as it was before, like when we were in high school when teachers striked. Yeah, like I think the only time I'm actually hearing teachers' pay actually be brought into the equivalents is people who are arguing against the teacher strike because that's something that they can use against it. Teachers do actually make a decent amount of money. I think the rumor that teachers don't make a lot of money has been perpetuated through uh, media through a lot well, of times. Like, teachers in the U.S. don't exactly. make very much. But teachers in Canada, they do have a pretty, yeah. they make pretty decent money. But I agree. I don't think that's the issue here. It's the fact that students who need specific courses to get into university to get the jobs that they want that may not even be teaching, it could be any jobs, they can't get those uh, prerequisites there because they're simply not being offered because there aren't enough teachers. Or if you have 40 students in a class, especially in a class like math, I'm horrible it's, at I'm math. Not, it's I would so have struggled easy for so much. To fall behind. Yeah. Like, it's so, so easy. And in investing in teacher salaries, I think we should invest in the salaries of more teachers, not mm. necessarily the teachers we have, but I they agree. should not have fired all the teachers that they did. So, yeah, I, I can meet you guys in the middle here where. <laughs> I do agree about the online classes. I don't think that more online classes is a solution or a desirable outcome. Not mandatory ones, certainly. Optional ones, fine. But yeah, mandatory ones, we don't want. Agreed. Um, Class sizes, I, I think it's being overblown. But I also think that, you know, increasing class sizes is not a desirable outcome either. I think that there are some sacrifices that we have to make. And I don't really see... Uh, any evidence that class sizes will increase to the claims being made by the by the teachers' unions? Uh, and they already of- are, though. Is the thing they already are being racist. I work. I teach swimming outside of this, and I work with a lot of high school students who are currently in those classes <laughs> in, high <school. laughs> in high school. And from what they let me know over the past couple of years, especially that it started it started off a little slow, but. Every time they notice, a few more kids in a class, then a few more yeah. kids my, in a class. I think it also really depends mm. on the high school you go to. My high school had less than 1,000 students, mm-hmm. so it de- never really felt like there were too many kids in a class. But my brother's, he's graduating, he's in grade 12 now, his school has over 2,000 students. So he's had classes that have 40 kids in them. So I think mm-hmm. it also depends on... What school you go to? We can't mm-hmm. yeah. use our own high school experiences necessarily. Exactly. But I think also, in Lacey, we go to a school where it wasn't affected by that. But the, there's like I was fortunate enough. I went to a big school, but it was the time before Doug Ford, yeah. and I was able to get you know quality class sizes. They were. I was never in a situation where I felt my class were too big, and I'm thankful that I got out beforehand. And it's the students who are in it now. Like 
it's always going to be the people making those decisions are not the ones being affected. And by I it. think and the, that's the issue. The absolute not worst. that high school students should be making these decisions, <laughs> but you get where I'm yeah, going. Yeah, I know. With what it. You mean. <laughs> I think uh, the absolute worst thing though is the mandatory online courses. I, I don't think you should try to force like a 15 year old to be responsible for learning and you know. Well, staying on their stuff. Well, I do. Uh, yeah, I, I do agree that mandatory online courses uh, are not the greatest idea. But having done an online course, I have to say it really pushes you to not procrastinate. In and, high school? Yeah, in high school. Uh, it really pushes you not to procrastinate and to have really uh, good uh, self-management. Well, that's if you are skills. disciplined enough to mm-hmm. make but yourself I, it, it work. Works but it works for some people. It doesn't work for but even, even exactly. for someone. Which is why it should someone, be optional. But even for someone like me, like I, I sometimes tend to procrastinate and this really yeah, forced me to do you it. You can tell from the fact that you're in university and you you do extracurricular activities. You, you're a studious person. There's a pl- We've all gone to high school. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of kids who definitely could not have, would not have stayed on their at shit the same, at taking the, an online course. At the same time, though, I was forced to take an online course because my English teacher gave me a, a shit grade because she just didn't like guys. Um, I, I had... Like, that's that's a whole a other tangent. That's, yeah. that's a whole uh, other tangent. <laughs> well, this uh, I'm telling you from personal experience. All the guys in the class had poor marks. Uh, but anyway, the point is, I was I getting. Feel like that's I was a really large accusation yeah. to make. It's very. It's been proven. Um, and this is this is my this is listen listen. I'm telling you from my personal experience, and this is fact. Um, if, if if it were fact that she hated male students and failed them, she would not be employed by the government. Now I I'm not <laughs> no I'm not no. saying that yeah. it, that it's necessarily the My, case, but it is very hard for a teacher to get fired. Yeah. There are teachers that is true. It's hard for it's hard for people I, in unions to get fired. There was a teacher fired. who went to prison in Jamaica from my hometown for you know attempted murder and is still teaching. Well, I know a teacher that threw a desk at a kid in my high school and he is fired. So I yeah. think it so depends. I think, depend. But I I, it I does think depend. that's a large claim to make. It's it might be large to somebody uh, from an outsider perspective, but I can tell you that pretty much every teacher in that school uh, didn't have a problem with me, and I had great great grades in all those classes, and I was forced to take an online course in order to qualify for university because I had a really bad English grade. Yeah, I understand, and, but it just I yeah, like, I, get, I don't like think we should try situation. to bring it so down personally yeah. because well, I've definitely I, had but teachers this is, this who is clearly an anecdote. yeah, well, so that's it is personal. Okay, so, well I don't think we should be using anecdotal evidence necessarily because I've had teachers that definitely just didn't like me. And gave me bad grades, and I was a good, like, you know, I think that we should just. I think try anecdotal to... evidence is fine because you often bring anecdotal evidence as well into I, the show. Yes, okay, but, but anecdotal I think, evidence is a fact. Is I think we, if we're situation. talking about, like, well, I don't even remember we how we got about onto online, this point. We were talking yeah, about online, online courses, courses so and think, I'm just telling you from personal experience that it does help students so to a degree. The di- like, I did bring up anecdotal evidence when I said talked about my brother who has big classes. We were just talking about the existence of classes that large. I was saying that there are public schools in Ontario where there are classes that large. Mm-hmm. But I think using your own personal experience in an online course to kind of say it's not that bad, that they're mandatory. I didn't is, say that. Well, then I don't think that it's necessarily relevant because I think that the point that is. we were making was that online courses can be good for some kids and for some kids can be really bad. And because of that, they should be optional and not mandatory. That's exactly my point. I never, I fully said that it shouldn't be mandatory. So you okay. missed that part. But no, well, I didn't miss it. I just don't understand necessity. I, I, I think that the situation with class sizes is that, you know, we don't want larger class sizes necessarily, but it's not the end of the world to have these large class sizes. When you get to university, you're going to be in classes of, at Ryerson, you might max out at 300, but at other schools, if you go to Western or Queens, you might have 800 people in your class. Or you have to yeah, or you have to, yes. And that's a situation that you're going to have to accept. If you're a grade 12 student, that's coming next but year for not you. Not everybody wants to go to university. Yeah, I and you do right, also but... use high school. Like, you don't need, <clears throat> not everyone who's getting a high school diploma wants to go to university. I also I also think that the setup of university, it's coming in to expect that. The setup of high school is designed in a place where your teachers aren't your prof- aren't your professors, in a sense. That your teachers are there for the guidance. Like, I can only imagine a class of 40 people. You have your hand up because you don't understand a concept at all. It's not like the teacher's office hours that you can go to afterwards for some individual help. You're waiting there as 40 other students are getting their questions answered too. Class is over. You have to move on to your next one. I just, I don't think comparing the situation of how university students are equipped to deal with stuff is the same uh, as the situation of how high school students are equipped to deal with stuff because I think there's a very difference of what you expect going into it. Well, we're going to talk about university in a little bit, but let's move on to our final uh, weekly update, which is the uh, Wet'suwet'en pipeline protest. Um, they're protesting the construction of the of a pipeline and in BC, in BC and they're doing so by blocking uh, train tracks and hence a lot of via rail 
uh, trains had to be canceled going to Montreal and Ottawa. Um, Just because they're having like supporting protests in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, thank you for clarifying. So uh, what's what's your take, Marshall? Well, it's it's an illegal blockade that is ridiculous and needs to stop. They're preventing people from getting home who are, you know, traveling between Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, Kingston, wherever. And they're preventing commerce from being conducted by by rail and they're blocking the highway, which is preventing people from getting to work if you commute from maybe um I don't know, Belleville to um somewhere not in Belleville, I'm not sure which way they're blocking, maybe both, but uh, it's it's something that uh, it needs to be stopped, and I think the government's lack of response to it is, is disgraceful, and it, you know, at some point, they, somebody needs to say, like, okay, you guys have done your thing, we, we get it, but now it's time to go home. Uh, the RCMP has now ceased their um their activities in the in the protest just as of last night and it's uh it's ridiculous that this is being allowed to go on for so long it's 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 extremely uh disruptive and and i i know disruptive is not a very severe word but it is really impacting people and the other thing is that uh it really shows maybe this is a bit off topic but it really shows how vulnerable our country is to um you know, having our rail service disrupted, how dependent we are on transporting goods and resources by rail across large distances, which just makes me think about, um, are we prepared for a situation in which rail is disrupted? But that's, you know, maybe a topic for another day. Well, I think it's supposed to be disruptive. It's a protest. Of course. It's, so it's it's supposed that's they're doing what they want to do. Of course, do. it's supposed it. to be disruptive, but that doesn't mean it's, it's okay to be disruptive. Well, I mean, I think the protests are usually protest like they're not supposed to be okay they're supposed to piss people off um i think like we we talked about it before it's very 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 political because i mean there's discrepancies within the uh, wetsun tribe in bc about whether or not they want the pipeline um just like any other group of people indigenous people aren't a monolith they don't all think the same thing um i think there's also an issue of it being unceded land in bc so i think it's very political the indigenous issue in canada is incredibly political so i don't think we can like summarize it in our weekly update but um i definitely do support protest and protesting for your political opinions i think they have the right to do that and I completely understand how frustrating it is for people trying to travel between, you know, Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, Kingston, like we mentioned. But I think that's what's supposed to happen. And uh, I think the Canadian government really is going to have to get its shit together in its relations with the Indigenous community or things like this are going to keep happening. Well, that's where we have to end it off because we have to move on to our main topic, which is free tuition. Post-secondary education is important, but comes at a cost. In fact, at times a very high cost. In this case, the the word cost is literal. University is not cheap, especially for those who then plan on attending medical school, law school, or other graduate studies. In 2019, the average cost of post-secondary education was approximately $6,500. The average cost is even higher for the aforementioned professions, with dental school averaging $21,717. While there are grants and options for financial aid, many have advocated for complete abolishment of tuition fees. Schooling should be free, many say, but should it? On today's show, with the help of returning panelist Marshall, our team discusses whether or not we should have completely free post-secondary education in Canada. Later, we also touch upon OSAP and current financial aid in Canada, as well as what the future looks like. As a reminder, we are live on Facebook, so make sure to comment on our feed to have your thoughts read live on air. This one especially, hopefully a lot of people will be commenting because we're university students. Our our audience is primarily university (laughs) students, so hopefully you guys will have an opinion. Um, Let's start with our poll that we asked on Facebook. Uh, Marshall, what was the question that we asked our audience? The question was, uh, should post-secondary education be free for all in Canada? Mm -hmm. And how many people voted? 103 people voted. Well, it's a good turnout. See, Okay, we're good. We're we're doing well. And and what are the results? The results are 55% of voters said yes, tuition should be free. And 45% of voters said no, it should not be free, which was a ratio of 57 votes for yes to 46 votes for no. 
Wow. Okay. So majority of people say yes there. Uh, on our Instagram poll, it is 50-50 with 22 people voting, 11 for, 11 again. So it's quite interesting. We always see generally a difference between our Facebook and Instagram polls. Let me ask the question to you guys. Should college be free for everyone? Yes. Marshall? No. I Mara? say yes, but I think it should be like a lot more difficult to get in. Okay. So let's start with you, Jordan. Why yeah. do you think it should be free? Um, I... I don't think let me let me rephrase. I think it should be free. I think it should cost the same as any like high school or middle school public education essentially where like there are still reasonable like fees you need to pay to keep things running but overall the price is like it's basically free is what I'm trying to say because obviously funding stuff I'm not going to into that argument now. I do believe it should be free because putting a high price on university takes away the intellectual knowledge you are actually gaining from it and instead it makes it a barrier on the poor from accessing higher jobs. In the past, in like the 80s and the 70s, university was considered an option, meaning you could go to high school, you could get a job enough to start a family and support, and if you wanted to get a very successful high-paying job, you could potentially go to university for some more expert expertise knowledge, but overall, having a high school diploma was seen as enough to start a family, to start a livelihood. I believe in the society that we currently live in that is not an option anymore that if you choose to not go to post-secondary education while you can still get a job you'll be unlikely to get a job to support yourself and others on and therefore by keeping the price so exorbitantly high it just makes it a way that poor people have no access to a higher standard of living it's just a way to keep them in lower socioeconomic standards and marshall you're on the complete opposite spectrum what do you have to say i am i I have a few contentions with yeah no go for it (laughs) Uh, so i would say that uh just going off of from the top of my head, uh, that the cost is not exorbitant in Canada. Uh, the cost is certainly exorbitant in the U.S., but in Canada, it comes to a total of what? What did you say? Six thousand dollars a year? Yeah, depending yeah. on the program. Depending, yeah. depending well, on that's the program. The, no, six thousand is the is average, average yeah. and then twenty-one thousand is for dental, which dental is school. a lot. That is a lot. Of, well, six thousand a year is really not very much in the grand scheme of things. In your personal situation. Well, in, in my personal situation, you know, I'm I'm getting money from the government to to go to school, and uh, it's uh, it's something that uh, some people do, and uh, it's it's not an option for everybody. But uh, it's not an option, but it's a necessity in the society. Yeah, but <clears throat> the other thing I, I have an issue with is uh, that university is necessarily a gateway to higher income. I don't think that that's the case anymore, and I think that. It's the, it's, I believe you're right. I do agree with you on that. I think it's the barrier for any sort of income at this point. No, no, no. I, I, think, <laughs> that there, I think that there are a lot of times where you going to university is no benefit to your income coming out of university or, or not going to university. You know, I, I think that if you're getting a degree in something like uh, political sciences, as we all are, it's, <laughs> a degree, it's a degree that holds very little weight by itself. <laughs> yeah. getting, a, getting a degree in political science is not something that's going to guarantee you an income more than somebody who didn't go to university at all. And same with a lot of other degrees to a greater extent. A degree in pol- political science is the highest earning of the liberal arts degrees. Oh, it is? Of the liberal arts degrees, and depends how they define liberal arts, because some universities consider math a liberal arts degree, but if we look at the things that are generally considered liberal arts degrees, sociology, criminology, you know what I mean? Psych. Psych. History. Political science is the highest earning of them all, um, but not by very much. <laughs> you know, the highest uh, job percentage for political science degrees is still in the service industry, and it's something that you have to add... Um, you know, additions, or you have to do things that complement your degree in order to make it worth something that you could really do without the degree. And again, it is the highest earning of the liberal arts degrees. So that is the majority of university students are in liberal arts degrees are not making much more than they would if they did not go to university. Therefore, university has been a net loss for them in paying tuition. And even if tuition were free, the cost of the textbooks, the commuting, (laughs) the opportunity cost of not being able to work full time while they're in university would still be a net loss financially, even if it were free. I think that going off like what Jordan said, I think I agree with both of you. I think we're trying to replicate uh, a path for life that just doesn't exist anymore. It's not the 70s and the 80s where you can get a degree in anything and get a good job anymore. So I think it's true that uh, your poli-sci degree is probably not going to be worth much. But I think um, 
so I I think that people definitely need, which is why I think it should be harder to get in, because I think a lot of people view university as the next thing you do after high school and that um, you don't know what you like. So you're just going to go into arts or you like history. So you're going to get a degree in history, which what are you going to do with that? So I think it should be a lot harder to get in because I do think universities prey upon students being vulnerable at 17. I also think they understand that through OSAP, um, whatever they charge is going to be they're, they're going to get it and we're laden with the debt after. So I think I would push back on saying that it's a barrier to the poor because I think you can get OSAP. And if you're really poor, you're going to get a lot of OSAP, but um, you're just, you know, pushing that debt off on, onto future you who you're betting will have a good job through the university education that you took out loans for. Um, but so I think college should be free because I don't think that we should be laid, like saddling ourselves with so much debt deciding to do that at 17 and then coming out of school with no prospects. But I also think that it should be more difficult to get in so that students are forced to kind of take a harder look at what they want to do and why they're going where they are. So you're, um, what you're essentially saying is that you believe with Marshall that uh, if everybody gets free tuition, everybody goes to university, it devalues the, yeah, I don't the, think... the education itself. So I don't know, like, do we know what the entrance, um, like the average, the minimum average for pog is for ryerson when i came in i needed a 78 yeah so that's pretty low in high school and it's it's high for um politics political science degrees u of t is only 75 yeah so and a lot of the arts are like that they're not that and the only prerequisite you need in grade 12 is english which you have to take to graduate so i think um we definitely it definitely needs to be harder to get and i think the entrance average should be like 90 like i think you should have to really and i think people who have high averages that high are probably more likely to have a better idea of what they want to do with their degree and are probably going to put it to use but i don't think that um i don't think it should be like high school where you just go because people aren't going to care but i also don't think that it should be as expensive as it is i I agree with parts of what you guys just said for sure but i think you raise an interesting point both of you in that after going through at least university that we realize that our political science (laughs) degree is essentially useless and that is knowledge we have gained through university i don't think you needed to i don't need to be ten thousand dollars debt for that though (laughs) but what i'm saying is because and you actually brought this up is that because of the way high school is formed it almost like sets you up it like it tricks you basically essentially going to university and i think looking at the way our society is now not in the future in the past but specifically this point where we have a lot of people's parents who didn't necessarily go to university but are pushing their kids to go to university and they probably are pushing them yeah because because they they, didn't go aren't aware so i feel like in the next 10 or 20 years when a large scale of people who are parents have all att- almost for the most part because almost everyone attends university you now unless there's a specific reason like personal reason why not do it. it's almost become a, a staple of society uh, in canada in canada yeah. i should say yeah in canada is a very important specification <laughs> for that um that i think you now that like once we've all gone through it now we've went through it as where it's like expected of us when we have kids like that and we're telling they're making that decision i think our reaction might be a little more well, different compared even to advising like my younger brother like he's made drink in poli sci and i was like you might want to think twice about that and i think a lot of the kids i know in high school that didn't go to university that went to college or did an apprenticeship are doing better than i am now and will probably do better in their lives than i will or hopefully i do well but you know they're they're making a lot more money coming out of school or whatever they did than i am so i think i think we just yeah i do think university i mean high school shepherds us into university and i think i wish there was more education on life but I do think it should be free. I'd like to add, I don't mean to disparage my degree and your guys' degree and every, every <laughs> viewer who's watching this who might be studying some kind of liberal arts, but um, it's not that it's a useless degree. I don't think that's the case at all, but it, on its own, does not hold weight. Well, uh, I think any, like, I've definitely learned things through university mm-hmm. and have, you know, changed a lot. I think it's useful in terms of, like, me your as a person. Knowledge, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think useful in terms of, like, me buying a home in the future. It's not. And I think much. that you need to add to your degree. You need to. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Supplement. You need to supplement your degree with experience while you're getting your degree in. Um, this is just some advice from from me. Uh, you know, having seen, I'm a bit older, just by one year, or maybe two years. I don't know how old you guys are, but um, seventeen. <laughs> most of my friends from my year have graduated, and I'm seeing how they're doing. And you you really do have to be getting experience while you're in school because we have to face the fact that our degree is a much easier one than something like engineering that will get you a job or something like physics that will get you a job. And you do have to make up for that. You can't just, you know, coast and do less work than the physics and engineering students. You have to do just as much work as them and building your resume and supplementing your degree. And uh, that that will um, set you up or at least help to set you up. It yeah. will springboard you for after you graduate. But it's it's not something you can do 
you can't count on the degree alone. I agree that uh, we do need to supplement it. Like a lot of us go to grad school, law school, or just get a master's. But um, that's why I think it should be a lot harder to get in because I think it's way too easy to just be like, I guess I'll go do a degree in poli sci, like politics. But even in the in terms of supplementing, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, further education. Oh, it's yeah, like no. you said, the uh, more <laughs> life experience. Because again, I learned a lot of you know the terms and you know basics here at, at school. But a lot of the actual learning happens outside when you meet people and when you go out and, and mm-hmm. produce films or produce TV shows um, like this show, right? This was a, an opportunity that yeah. I seized. So uh, I think it, it definitely depends on the program. But like you said... Yeah, it doesn't have to be further schooling at all. Well, I didn't mean that. I just meant that a lot of people do supplement. And I think... I know you didn't mean also, that. Also, but... people who uh, are not necessarily go-getters that are going to try to network while in undergrad are just more likely, I think, to just go do more school because it's mm-hmm. easier. And that's where you mean... And that's one way to do things, for sure. I don't is, think is uh, no, but that's grad where, school should be free. Right, but that's, that's where you mean way. of, like, it should be harder to get in. Yeah, I think that people like it's that. way too easy to just be like, I don't know what I want to do. I guess I'll go to university, and I guess I'll major in psych because that's interesting. I also think that... I mean, I live in Toronto. I know Jordan lives in Toronto, and I know you commute. I don't know. Do you live I live downtown? in Toronto, yeah. So I think it depends. Like, I live at home, so I don't have the cost of living at home uh, or living on my own, but I know a lot of people who went away. And then I think, again, that's just more money that you're spending. Like, if you now are going away to get a poli-sci degree, for example, because that's what we're doing, that's more money that you're spending. Now, if there was free tuition, how would it affect, uh, how would it affect the actual institutions, right? Well, I would, uh, I think the the government should supplement our, uh, so I think they should, they should walk away with like around the same that they get. But I also think we give the university a lot of money. So I don't know if they'd necessarily be hurting if they didn't get as much. I think between government grants, the university, as well as just donations from alumni, which is also plays a huge factor already, plus tuition, like maybe not Ryerson specifically, but I mean, maybe Ryerson, but schools get some pretty like successful people on them. Mm-hmm. Universities like, listen, a lot of people are going to leave universities as duds, but there's going to be quite a few who go on like above and beyond and beyond and Nine times out of ten, they will go and donate back to their alma mater, their school, whatever. And I do believe that there is enough other places for universities to receive their fundings because of how pivotal they are to our society that losing tuition money is such a minor aspect of it, I think. Now, if if I may piggyback off that to go slightly off topic. Yeah, go for um, it. I wonder how the RSU scandals have affected alumni <laughs> donations. That's because where I was going. I know yeah. that I've seen on Facebook, at least, and people I know who went to Ryerson who are now not donating to Ryerson anymore because of this situation. And, of course, uh, the RSU kind of cutting, uh, or sorry, the uh, Ryerson administration cutting the RSU off of uh, official recognition, cutting off the operational agreement. Uh, you know, I think that's a move to save alumni donations. Also, uh, how are they just, this is very off topic, but how are RSU elections going on right now? That's yeah. I was, <laughs> I was about to mention so that. So the RSU still exists. I understand. But are they just kind of like ignoring what the university said? Like, how are they going to make money next year when they don't get the money that <clears throat> we or students would pay as part, so like, part of their tuition? The RSU still exists. It's just no longer recognized by the university and they're no longer, they no longer have a mechanism, a mechanism to forcibly do things make us donate money to them yeah, so how are they going a... to like next so, year what are they going to do come march there's going to be an election i believe uh to uh, you know directed by the school directed by the university the new to decide student government yeah what we do with the student government situation the people campaigning right now for the rsu are doing it with the aspiration of ah, students deciding to keep a student government and keep the rsu um, and merge happen. it again It just seems like an absolute waste of time. (laughs) Like, if you're at least going to run for student government, run for the new one. Well, we we haven't even formed the new one yet. Exactly. So wait till then, right? But this is just... just I guess if you're graduating this year and want to get involved with something quickly, like put on a resume or something... (laughs) Really fast. (laughs) Quickly form your own RSU. Honestly, hats off to anybody who has decided to run for the... For the RSU, because that takes a lot of balls to uh, <laughs> to, to run for the RSU the after RSU. all the nonsense they've put us through. But, uh, taking the RSU actually back to the topic of tuition, <laughs> I, I think what you sorry, we went on a tangent. We there, can all agree raised, on that. <laughs> you raised actually a good point, whether intentionally or unintentionally, about how alumni donations are being pulled because of all the scandals with the RSU. I think that's interesting because it only, at least to me, proves the fact that universities have so much ridiculous amount of money that because of stuff like that allows the RSU to happen. If anything, maybe a little less money being thrown at the universities, whether it's through tuition and all this, isn't the end of the world? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying. Honest. I don't think they'd be hurting too much. <laughs> 
Like, clearly, there's enough money, enough that there can be a financial scandal with the Ryerson Student Union and still have all the facilities running and all the professors being paid and everything like that. Clearly, there is enough money, at least in Ryerson right now. So it begs me the question, why do we need to keep paying so much for tuition? Also, just to go back to the question, I think socially it will affect universities positively. I think a lot of people don't really understand what they're doing. Um, Again, like you're 17 and you decide to take on the debt of OSAP. I don't think people get what they're necessarily what it's going to mean or four years seems like a really long time when you're 17 and it's really not that long. Um, So I think if it were free, but it were harder to get in, I would hope that the students at Ryerson and at other universities would be the most studious. So they would be the most interested in, you know, working and doing well. Well, those people that you say that would be the most interested in working well, uh, who would these people be? Who would qualify to go to university? And if tuition were free, would you want a system where it's free for everyone, but very few people go to university? Yeah. And the people that that people who don't go to university pretty much, like everybody who goes to university gets free tuition. Yes. Okay. Or college. And who would these people be? How would they qualify? How well, would like, you How I would you make it harder to get the in? The entrance averages, like we said, for this program, our program, I don't know. I think I know your program's hard to get into. Um, yeah, I mean the actual average to get in is not that but there's high, a lot of but other it's a lot more supplemental. So for yeah. ours, uh, the only prerequisite is English, which you have to take to graduate. So you took that anyway, mm-hmm. and then I think the average, like we said, was like high seventies. So I think it should be like ninety. So you I know, I dis I don't think that will necessarily help the situation. To be completely honest, while I understand the motives of having higher standards, higher recommendations, if I can actually, Elliot, use your anecdotal evidence to use the format, having taken it's online course, <laughs> uh, having to use your online course uh, because you didn't do well, I think that people who, if they see that these marks they need are much much higher for getting university, all it will do is encourage wealthier people to not send their kids to public school and rather send yes. them to private school oh, for yeah. more yeah. online classes so that they have those grades to get into university I, yeah. I think no matter how you look at it it's a class situation well I think that then think, there should be some sort of mechanism to address that because I know Blythe Academy is a private school and everybody who I think has gone to high school here knows a kid who like took a course at yeah. Blythe and got a 98 percent oh, yeah. it's ridiculous but, you pay um, for your marks apparently some schools are uh, weighing them like those marks less like I've heard that like Waterloo I think weighs Blythe uh, credits less because oh, they recognize wow. that you're basically buying a grade so I think things like that I think schools should be aware of no, there's, uh, there's definitely um, the possibility to buy a grade. There's definitely yeah, like uh, like you said, Jordan. Private schools, uh, definitely. I know a few private schools. But what's interesting is like Vaughn Secondary School, where I went. Funny enough, it's one of the highest uh, rates of inflation in marks mm. in Ontario. Yeah. I was just going to say it's public schools too. It's not yeah, just it uh, that's it's not just that's the private fair. schools. And if you know people, I don't know. You're from Toronto, mm-hmm. are you? Are you? Yeah, both okay. from Toronto. So. When I was in elementary school, or sorry, in high school. Where are you from? I'm from Whitby. Okay. Uh, When I was in high school, people weren't getting 90s. Nobody was getting 90s. The kid with the highest mark in the whole grade, in the whole graduating class, had a 96. And there was a couple people in the 90s, but it was not a common thing. When I came to, uh, when I moved to Toronto and started talking to people who grew up here, I'm finding out, you know, getting 90s is a normal thing in high school. To to us, that was like an unachievable dream for normal people. So I definitely, uh, obviously, am biased. And it was a long time ago. I'm so old. I don't know. I, I definitely had like 90s, but I didn't have all 90s. And it wasn't necessarily easy for me to get 90s. But I do know I've read articles about there are certain high schools where kids are really struggling in university because their 95 is mm-hmm. not really a 95. Mm-hmm. So I think... That needs to be evaluated as well. I would definitely acknowledge that. And that brings me back to my the point I was going to bring up before is when you talk about higher admission averages, I just, you know, begs the question of why are these admission averages set at what they are in the first place? Cool. There must be a reason for it. And I would say it's because I don't think you need to be getting 90s in high school to succeed in in programs that require a 75 to get into. Um, I I think something like, uh, for example, Creative Industries is a program that I applied to and did not get into. It required a 92 average along with supplementary uh, portfolio entries. And, you know, I don't know uh, if uh, if they did let me in with my, I think, flat 80 average, if I would have been able to keep up in that program. I don't know. Maybe I would have. Maybe I wouldn't have. But... You know, I've I've certainly been able to keep up in politics, and I don't think that it's it's been a hard enough program to warrant needing a ninety no, average. No, I agree. School. I don't think that it was. Um, yeah, I definitely was an overachiever in high school. Did not need to try as hard as I did, but I do think that. Um, I I just think we should try to 
make people more aware of the choices they're making. So maybe I not agree, necessarily 100%. just the average. Supplementing the uh, application as well with extracurriculars, I think, would be a good thing. I think it's very important that you guys made that distinction um, about marks not being everything because, uh, again, there's in my program in particular, because of that supplemental uh, stuff that you do, you have to submit an essay, stuff like that, um, it's a lot more than marks. You also have an interview. Yeah. So... It really, it really depends on the program, but some programs, they require, they want to see who you are. Because I know, uh, again, a- anecdotal evidence, but um, uh, like I, I, somebody told me, one of the professors who was, uh, he said it to our class, that he, he does the interviews, part, part of the, one of the professors that does the interviews for RTA. And the, the marks were not great. The, the written essay was not great. Broken English. And, but the interview, uh, you know, the girl had broken English, obviously not her first language, but during the interview, he realized how talented she is. Uh, she brought a whole portfolio of graphic design she did, right? And he actually fought for her. They were going to cancel her just because of the grade and the written aspect, mm-hmm. but it's so much more than that. See, that's my point. I think that we need to, like for our program, you didn't have to do an essay or anything. You just applied on OUAC and probably got in um i think that it it should definitely be something like that because i'm not trying to say that you know i understand not everyone's an academic and it definitely depends on the program you're doing i don't think like rta definitely is not as academic as politics for example so i think you should definitely like it should be about the person you are i think Mm -hmm. interviews if if less people were applying and let in i think we could do interviews for arts programs so i think that that Things like that should be the norm. I agree with that, actually. I never thought about that before. Interviews for, like, every program. But I think that's actually a good idea. I I think about... um, I went to go see our course advisor for the first time ever (laughs) over the summer. And... You know, she told me, like, wow, you know, I uh, why haven't you come up here before? Because we had a great chat. And I've I've always had a complicated relationship with marks, um, with grades, and uh, I I struggled to attain the necessary average to get into our program. And I feel like if there had been a interview aspect based off the conversation I had with that particular person, I I don't know if she would have had anything to do with it. Uh, that's something that would have helped me at the time and made me feel a lot more at ease about getting into university as a grade 12 student. And I think you should have, like, just going off of that, you would have a good reason for wanting to be in the program. You were like that girl that you described. She had a good reason for applying mm-hmm. to RTA. And she, you know, did, I don't know if she got in. She did. But, okay, that's great. And it was clear that she was passionate and she would probably excel. So when I say that I think there should be a higher average, it's just me going along yeah. with saying that it should just be generally harder to get in. I agree. So average should matter, but it also, it should be weighted as Like, I think we should have an interview for all programs. I think maybe you should have a portfolio for mm-hmm. all programs, going, depending so, obviously. So if I could so go off of what you said, yeah, actually, just, for a moment. Just one, <laughs> no worries, so that no would essentially have, it would require an entire overhaul of university as a whole yeah. if every program needs something. That, that seems costly. Well, you have to spend money to make money. I think For that sure. things are going to cost money. It's obviously not working right now with what's happening with students and debt and the lack of, like, if, you know, most of <clears throat> people who graduate from our program are employed in service industry, like, it's not working. Yeah. So something needs to change, and maybe they're going to have to spend some money to change it. Mm-hmm. Jordan? Uh, yeah, so going away some of the interview, I definitely agree with you on that. I will, just to play devil's advocate to an extent, but I haven't, it's not like devil's advocate <laughs> saying, like, I have a response I think actually works. I agree with the interview, but then I also look at, like, does that just benefit people who are better speakers in general who can go to interview? So I think it more so just needs to be cumulative in I the agree. sense mm-hmm. that it's a little bit your grades. Maybe yes. there's an essay, test your writing skill, maybe an interview. You yes. test your oral orientation and it's all those things sort of combined but not necessarily an emphasis but it on also depends the on the program you're in like if you want to do like we have don't we have a theater program at Ryerson yep, if you want to be an actor you're going to have to be a good speaker so mm-hmm. I think it depends on the so program so I guess weighting it more so to what you're yeah I for. think the program should obviously be taken into account but I think that uh, people also I think you should have a good reason for spending the or now spending the money but I don't think you should have to spend the money but doing what you going into university for what you're deciding to do it for. but I, I also have to push back on that in terms of not everybody's a great speaker because I mean, you don't have to be a great speaker to get into somewhere. I know people who are great speakers and they got in and they're not good in the program. <laughs> whereas people who are not great speakers also got in and they're great. Well, I just right? think it should, like, you, like again, there, like, there has the to be example, a number of things that. Yes. So it's not yeah, just the interview up. or just that. I think it's cumulative. Yes. Like the, the girl you described in your anecdote, she was a good speaker. She mm-hmm. didn't have a good essay. She didn't have good grades, but she was a good speaker. And that's what got her in. Somebody else might be the opposite. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, uh, you know, it, going back to actual payment of university, of this free tuition, uh, how would the government pay for free public education? Where would the money come from? Uh, so 
they already pay for a lot of it. It's already heavily subsidized. The cost of a degree is far more than the $6,000 a year that we pay. The government subsidizes a lot of it. It would just be the extra $6,000, which in fairness is not that much for the government to, uh, to pay. It wouldn't be that uh, big of a deal from a government cost standpoint. Um, so that's not my main concern with it. But uh, yeah, I... It, to my knowledge, it wouldn't be terribly, terribly expensive. And now, in sorry, in my ideal world, there would be a lot less students going, so it would probably, hopefully, wouldn't change the cost, or maybe even make it cheaper for the government because they do subsidize our tuition. Now, would you have it limited to undergraduate studies, or would you extend that to medical school? I would limit it studies? to undergraduate studies. Okay. Personally. Okay. Jordan. Uh, sorry, I was reading the comments for a second. What was the question? <laughs> Where would, uh, how would this be paid for? Uh, do you think it could be sustained? I think it definitely can be sustainable. I do agree with what Marshall said there with how the government should be able to subsidize most, but I don't think, like, yes, 6000 per student, it adds up, could be a lot, but, but the amount, I think taking small subsidies from other departments, stuff like that, I think military has a whole lot of money extra, that that's, a, again, a whole Not lot here. Tangent. That's a tangent for another day. <laughs> um, uh, but I definitely think it's more realistic. I think it's an easy detractor from free education to say oh but it's going to be so expensive for the government it's really not going to be that expensive for the government to play to pay for i don't have all the statistics here in front of me all i have is a laptop in front of me but you can <laughs> you can figure out government has some money <laughs> don't yeah don't get me wrong it would be expensive it would be yeah. a cost to the taxpayer and a significant one it's just that that's not my main concern is mm. you know there are plenty of there's plenty of waste and in, in government spending that's not my they'll concern, find the money that's not a huge issue yeah well in terms of finding the money like you say the liberal government under kathleen Wynne, the former government actually tried uh, to do that in part, and what they did is they uh, announced free tuition for families earning under fifty thousand um, dollars. What was your reaction to that move when that I happened? I was very upset about it, actually. Why? Um, because I think it's unfair. Um, I think, as far as I knew, it was like fifty thousand dollars, like flat. They didn't really take into account how many kids were in the mm -hmm. home and stuff like that, which I think is. Uh, ridiculous. I think that uh, a, a single mom with one kid who's making 50k is probably better off than a family of five making 75. Yeah. Uh, so I think that they should definitely take that into account. And I also don't think it's necessarily fair for some people to graduate with no debt and others not to. I think that this puts people from poor families, uh, those children are graduating without debt. Obviously, kids from rich families whose families can afford to pay for them or have no debt. And middle class children are the ones that are graduating with debt. And I don't see how that's fair. Um, and I also don't necessarily think we should be punished for our parents' bad financial decisions or good ones, maybe. Like, you don't really have any control over how much money your parents make. And of course, if your parents make a lot of money, you're lucky and they can pay for you. But I know for me personally, my family made more than that. But my parents had me young. They didn't weren't making that my whole life, didn't have an opportunity to save up for schooling. So I just think that um, if it's free for some, it should be free for all. Agreed. Marshall? Um, you know, I, I think that uh, it's it was badly implemented because income is not a good way to measure that. Just like net worth alone wouldn't be a good way to measure that. You could have a high income, but also very low net worth being massive amounts of debt or the other way around. You could have a very high net worth, but not make very much. Maybe you bought a house in the in the 70s for $200,000 that's now worth 1.5 million. Which is million. very common nowadays. And you've got a high net worth. You're a millionaire, but you could be making $40,000 a year, right? So I think it's a bad measure of, of who should get it. Uh, I didn't take a huge issue with it. I, I didn't think it was necessarily a good solution, but it's not something I was, I was devastated about. Um, and it, it goes it goes to the uh, equality or equity argument, right? So at least helping certain people reach a certain level of equality, of being able to go to yeah, university. Yeah, and like, what if your what if your parents are making fifty two thousand dollars a year? At that exactly. point, it's you know it's it's a silly way to do it. Um, okay, sorry. Continue. <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't want to take up too much time. but No, that's okay. Um, well, in regards to, uh, you know, some people getting it, there is still OSAP. So in ter uh, current yeah. financial assistance, OSAP exists. That's now, why I push back on saying that poor kids just don't have access to post-secondary mm -hmm. education because you would definitely qualify for OSAP and probably get a lot of OSAP. I now, agree. It's now, not like anything's happening to OSAP these days. Well, that's, that's putting that's, it in jeopardy. That's where I'm going because Touché. a lot of people would say that it's become a lot harder now with the changes that the Ford government has put into OSAP, uh, including the uh, scrapping of the six-month grace period to repay 
uh, OSAP I think loans. it was just on because in, interest wasn't like there was no interest. It was for a six, the six month. Months. Yeah, it was so no interest. You still, so now you still don't have there to was pay interest it. from the federal portion of the yeah, loan, and they and which is most it. of the loan. So you don't. You still have like a little bit of time. Like as soon as you graduate, you don't have to. No, pay as soon as you graduate, the interest starts. Yeah, yeah that's the what interest I mean. starts. Yeah. But you still don't have to pay. That's what I'm saying. You don't have to pay it from the date you graduate. Right. Yeah. So I think people will kind of. But it, the interest is, you know, there already was interest and most of the loan comes from the federal portion, which was already, there was no interest-free grace period. So there already was a significant amount of interest. Now there's just slightly more interest on it. Uh, and it's it's something, it's, it's the reality of borrowing money is that there's interest. And, you know, I, I do think usury is, is a sin and, and interest is not, uh, <laughs> not something I believe in, but it is the reality of the world we live in where... Uh, you know, you, you can't uh, take it alone without interest. Do you, speaking of reality, uh, you mentioned the word reality. Do you think that in the future there is a reality of having free education for all in, in Canada? I think, I think that we might put ourselves in a position where it, it has to happen. And I don't want to be in that position. You know, I, I think that we've created a situation where there's a artificial demand for university education that shouldn't be there. Um, uh, I might use a uh, a metaphor here. Would you like to hear about uh, the dot com bubble or tulip mania? Sure. Which one? <laughs> I feel like dot com yeah. bubble. <laughs> okay, so the dot com bubble. So picture this: it's the '90s, and the internet is booming. Everybody's getting a computer, and you can buy domain names for very cheap. And now, people think that these domain names are just going to be soaring in value that you know if you buy a bunch of domain names for a dollar a piece then you can sell them off for $25 a piece so if you buy like 7 7000 of them or so you can sell it for a lot of money what happens is is the supply increased far faster than the demand could because people really didn't need domain names in the mid 90s like your average person was not buying a domain name so the supply, they had all these domains that they bought and they were trying to sell to people and they could not sell them. So what happens is the supply breaks the demand line here and all of a sudden when that happens, it becomes worthless. And what I think we've created is a artificial demand for university degrees is that there are a lot of jobs that now demand a university degree that objectively should not require a university degree. And why is that? Mm -hmm. It's because in Canada, we're the most educated country in the world, highest percentage of university degrees per capita of any country. And now these jobs are, you know, seeing how many people have university degrees. It's becoming a, a far more competitive field than it has to be. And we're going to reach a point where more people have degrees than jobs that require a degree exist. And degrees are going to, there's going to be a bubble bursting, a economic bubble bursting, and degrees are going to be worthless. They're already reaching that point. We're already very close to hitting that demand line, breaking that demand line. And if we decrease the price of of uh degrees we're going to also decrease their value significantly by way of the bubble bursting by way of the and, uh, bubble and, bursting. and we have a comment from Gemma. um she says people need to understand the importance and value in working for yourself and i think that relates to your point of the value of a degree well i agree i think that i mean people already describe like bachelors of arts as high school diplomas because everybody has and one. that's the problem it's becoming like a high school so diploma. it shouldn't be that way that, and i think just society in general the average uh one bedroom apartment in toronto is twenty two hundred dollars a month um, like housing prices are insane. I think our generation is just growing up in a world that's not as easy to be successful in as their parents and grandparents. And I think something's going to have to give. And I think this situation is just another example of that. Like, you know, the easy pathway to a life, it was not, you know, getting a degree and you can have a job that you get at 22 and you stay until you retire with, you know, you can take care of your wife and two kids. It just doesn't exist anymore. So I think, Something's going to got to give. Something, something's going to change. I think it either can go one or two ways. Either university is going to have to become free for everyone or society is going to have to reevaluate their standards for what a university degree is actually applicable for and what it's not. You're yeah. absolutely right, Jordan, because we are going to get to a point where I don't want it to become free. Yeah. I, don't want, I don't think tuition should be free, but it's, it's going to or, have to be at some point. And I don't think any other... And others... we're doing it to ourselves. I mean, it's... I've seen sales associate jobs at the Bay asking for like an undergrad. It's like, ridiculous. Secretary insane. jobs need an undergrad and not to denigrate secretaries because it's a noble 
terrible profession, but it's not something you should need a university degree for. It's you know you can get a college uh, secretarial sciences diploma for it, but not a not a university degree, not a four year you know twenty four thousand dollar degree. Something has to change. Even even in my field, like I I look at jobs on Indeed for photography and what you need two years of. A bachelor degree in photography. Mm-hmm. Like, no, this is a this is a skill you and can then, pick up as a hobby. Exactly. Also, a lot of the jobs that you're looking at that are asking for experience or a degree are not paying what they would. Exactly. Like, well, maybe they're paying what they used to, but that's the problem that it's yeah. the same number and it hasn't risen with inflation. A minimum wage job should not require a university. Degree. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, so, and then that's going to go into people not being able to afford homes. People can't even afford to rent in Toronto anymore. So, I think it's just something's got to give. And uh, Jordan, a minimum wage job should not uh, require a degree is where we're going to end the show today. That was our show for this week. Thank you to everyone that tuned in and that messaged us live. We actually had a lot of comments coming in. Uh, Marshall, thank you so much for coming back to the show and joining our panel. Uh, We really enjoyed having you, and I think we all had a great time. Uh, Brand new episode of The Rabbin Report will be coming to you next week, same day, same time, same people. Have a great day, everyone.